Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to Blog Talk Radio, or uh, ALRP, or Law Talk Radio, that is, on Blog Talk Radio. Today is September 14, 2010, and this is Nick Augustine. The show is produced by ALRPRA Incorporated, a law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Today's guest is attorney Paul Garver of the law firm of Harbecker and Garver in Hinsdale, Illinois, in suburban DuPage County, Illinois. Today, Paul is going to talk a bit about his estate planning practice. Uh, Paul Garver also does other uh, areas of law, such as real estate, which is possibly another show. But today, we're here to talk about estate planning and uh, why estate planning is for everyone and dispel some myths uh, about estate planning that may be out there. So, also, we want to remind you before we begin that we do broadcast the shows uh, twice a week. We have the Consumer's Law Journal, which airs on Tuesdays, and the Lawyer's Toolbox Show, which airs on Thursday afternoons. Both Law Talk radio shows air at 3 p.m. Central, which is also 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific time. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we invite our callers' questions either by email at info, which is I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com, again, info at A-L-R-P-R-A.com, or also by calling in to area code 917-889-9732 and pressing option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number, again, is 917-889-9732, option 1 for the caller queue. Today, all callers do receive, uh, are in the running, rather, to receive free admission to the fourth quarter social media update 2010, which will be hosted by ALRPR Incorporated downtown Chicago, and we will have a panel of three speakers talking about social media updates, uh, crisis management, LinkedIn, uh, new things going on with blogs, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So callers who do call in will be uh, in the running to read free admission, which is a $25 value. Again, this is a disclaimer. This is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on your facts and location. You are always encouraged to privately consult a professional and should be advised that the laws may vary from state to state as they could apply to comments made on this show. Comments made by callers to attorneys do not constitute an attorney-client relationship, and all callers do remain confidential, and all rights are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Without further ado, I'd like to say hello to Paul Garver. Paul, how are you doing today? Good, Nick. How's everything going? Good. It's been a busy day, but we're excited to take a break and learn a little about estate planning. Always an exciting topic. So Always. That is a, <laughs> it's, a, it's definitely a good thing to talk about. Um, Paul, before we get going, can you tell us a little bit about how you got into this practice area, how you came to be uh, a guest on our show today, um, from not from birth necessarily, but what drove you into helping people with this area? Sure. Uh, it's a good question, Nick. Honestly, uh, we kind of organically grew our, our law practice here in, uh, in Hinsdale, Illinois, and uh, started off now. Uh, this will be entering into my eighth year. Um, in, in the law practice, and uh, we decided to focus our practice for pretty early on um, into both uh, estate planning and real estate. Um, those are the, the main two practice areas that both myself and my partner uh, practice in. Um, and really, uh, just because um, they are they're fun areas of law to be in. I mean, it, I know that it uh, probably sounds a little corny, but 
Um, you get a good sense of satisfaction kind of helping people get things into order um, and helping them make uh, feel, make an estate plan that makes them feel confident about, you know, what they're going to be leaving behind for their families. And, Paul, when, when we first met and talked about some uh, some issues um, concerning your firm and, and that uh, well, I'll disclose to people that you are a client um, of ours, and when we first talked and I reviewed some of your website materials, one of the things that you really strongly emphasized was the sense that uh, everything that you do for your clients, you want them to really fully understand uh, the process. Um, wh- what's your personal approach on making sure clients walk out the door knowing what's going on? Yeah, no, that's a that's a great that's a great uh, question. I mean, really, I view estate planning uh, with that client as a process, and and I tell every client that I get to uh, to talk with about that. So, you know, I'm, I, it's probably good for the uh, for the talk show, Nick, but sometimes not. Uh, you know, my 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 clients uh, know that I uh, I probably over-explain things a little bit <laughs> because I don't want mm-hmm. there to really be. I, you know, I want them to be clear on on what's going on and. Um, and, you know, what necessarily, uh, you know, some of the estate planning concepts that I even talk about with my clients in our first meetings um, aren't necessarily even applicable at that time, but are things that down the road might become applicable to them. So, I, th- I mean, it's important to me, A, not only that they understand um, the estate plan that we put together for them and what it means to them and what the documents, you know, are and what, it, what, what those documents mean to them. But it's important for me to leave them with an understanding of, hey, what are the key touch points over the next, you know, five, ten years, whatever it might be, that are that are going to significantly change, or might have a significant change on the estate plan that we put together. Um, so that's that's probably one of my one of my biggest concerns when I leave, you know, things with clients is it's not only an understanding of the estate plan that they got in front of them, and we accomplish that through meetings with them, but also uh, our final estate plan consists of a binder that has the explanation of the documents within it, um, along with copies of all the documents that we produce for them, um, you know, that, that sort of thing. Uh, so not only am I really worried about making sure that they understand what each document in front of them means, but also, you know, how this living, breathing estate plan that we put together kind of can change over time. Great. I mean, it's such a good thing to have. A plan, you know, not only short term but long term, and you've sort of led, uh, you made some comments there that led into our first topic area for our first segment. Can you tell us why estate planning is really for everyone, and why um, some of the myths that estate planning is only for the wealthy is something that should be debunked? Sure, no, that's that's a that's a great question, and um, you know, here's here's what I'll say. Uh, everybody. You might not realize it, but everybody has an estate plan already, right? It just, it really depends on how you look at it. So, um, if you die without a will, if you pass without a will, um, basically what is happening is uh, you're dying in, in the legal term of what we call intestate, so you, you don't have a will, and therefore what directs what happens to your assets is the probate act, right? So that, that process immediately following death in which the court makes the decision uh, how your assets are allocated and, uh, and, and, and distributed. That process is called probate, right? Um, so the um, that is, in effect, I mean, you can, in effect, have a have an estate plan where you, 
you know, basically you say, I'm not going to do your planning. could be I'm not going to do anything, and I'm just going to let the court figure it out because, you know, uh, I'm sure the, the government is going to do what's best for me, right? So that's, that, that could, in effect, be your estate plan. Um, really, I think uh, what I find with the majority of my clients is they know and understand that that's not the way they want um, their estate plan to, or their estate to kind of proceed. Uh, and and they know that there are certain things that they want to make sure that they can do uh, to make the transfer of assets from themselves to their loved ones as easy as possible. Um, does that make sense, Nick? Am I explaining that well? You know, you are. It does yeah. Make so sense. yeah, and and so then when we get to that, when we get to that portion, we talk about well, kind of, and I think the title of the segment is kind of you know appropriate. How do we, you know, how do we make sure that all those assets transfer well? Well, one of the things that you may not want to have is you, you may not want these assets, even if you come up with a will and decide that, hey, these are the people that I want to have uh, or to get the proceeds of my estate or to, to get distributed the, the items from my estate. You, you may not want um, it to even necessarily go through probate at all, right? I mean, that's, that's definitely a, a goal I, I find for a number of my clients. They understand that doing a probate process is probably going to cost money, um, not only from filing fees and those sorts of things, but from attorney's fees that they're going to have to uh, pay to an attorney to go and, and probate the estate for them. And, and they're thinking to themselves, well, maybe I, I want to try to avoid that or at least make it as easy as possible for everyone. You know, that way... Um, you know, there there isn't an issue, right? And people also have kind of this mistaken belief that, oh well, you know, all my assets are gonna are gonna pass to my wife or my husband, right? Auto- automatically. So you know what? I don't need a will or I don't need something of that nature in order order to kind of take care of that. Um, so that's where I, I think really um, some counseling kind of comes in the in the place. That's where you kind of need to consult with a with someone who understands the estate planning arena um, so that you can kind of, you know, come up with what is going to fit your particular situation. Um, and, and really, Nick, and I truly believe this, there, there is no one, you know, there's, there's no one size fits all in estate planning. I mean, it, it really comes down to uh, people's individual situations and, um, you know, what's comfortable for them from a financial standpoint but also what meets their goals, right? So uh, it's, and I, I think we're doing okay on time, and sorry if I'm, go ahead, keep, keep going no, on no, here. No, but no. Let, yeah, let me, I think, I, think a, I think maybe a good place for us to start is some common things that we, that we see out there, right, and, and kind of how we handle that. So one way that you can avoid um, probate uh, and you can, make sure your your asset passes on is you can have a joint tenancy account, right? So um, if I have a bank account, Nick, and, and I want you to be the beneficiary of that bank account, and now don't get your hopes up, by the way. We're just using, <laughs> using, this, as an, using this as an example. But just but, I mean, if I, yeah, just a, just a hypothetical. So but if I want you to be the beneficiary of that asset, I can hold that asset. That asset can be held in joint tenancy, right? So... It can be a bank account that says, um, on my checks, it would say Paul Garber and Nick Augustine, right, as, as the people that are the, are the title holders of the account. And in that case, in the case of any kind of joint, 
property that you hold, whether it's a bank account or real property, real estate, whatever it might be. In the case of that, when when one uh, title holder passes, that asset automatically passes to the remaining title holder, right? Um, so it automatically transfers. So if I pass, and I'll pick on I'll pick on me here. If I pass, if I die, and that that entirety of that bank account is going to pass to you, Nick. Um, now you see this a lot, and uh, I, I've seen this a lot happen with a with a, you know it's kind of a rudimentary form of estate planning for a number of people, and and they always I, I've seen um, you know mothers and fathers put the oldest child on the bank account as a joint account holder or put them on that, you know, uh, put them on the, uh, the house. Maybe they bring on the oldest child or one of the children as, the, as, the, as a joint tenant or joint account holder. And there really are some problems with that. Or there's some potential problems. Um, and, you know, I, I think it bears us kind of discussing that. I mean, the, the, first, the first problem with, with that joint account holder situation is, well, Yes, you're going to avoid probate because it's jointly held and it automatically passes to the person that is the joint holder. You you avoid probate, um, and so therefore that asset would never have to pass through probate. Although there may be other assets that do need to pass through probate, right? Um, so what we have there though is that the immediately when you bring the other person on as a as a joint tenant, you open themselves, you open that asset up to creditors of that person. So, Nick, I know that you're not running around not paying your credit card bills and doing that kind of thing. You know, how, however, if if you weren't right, and I and I joint, I put you on as a joint uh, joint owner of that bank account, and we jointly held that bank account. Then, if someone got a judgment against you, they could go after that asset to satisfy that judgment, even though it was my money. Correct. Hmm. So. Um, risky that, proposition. That, yeah, that can be a risky proposition for people. Um, secondly, uh, remember that for income tax, per, or, or pardon me, for tax purposes, not for income tax, but for tax purposes, uh, and I always encourage people to consult with a tax professional, um, a CPA or someone of that nature when we start to discuss these types of scenarios, right? But from, from a tax perspective, that could be seen as a gift to that person in the year that you add them on, right? So if I have a $200,000 property um, and I bring you on as a to jointly own that property uh, with me, Nick, then that could be seen as me giving you a gift of $100,000 in, in the tax year that I give you that gift, right, or in the tax year that I, I deed you on to that property. Now, that can have all sorts of implications from a gift tax perspective, they can have an adverse impact on on both the the child's estate, you know, and, the, and their financial well-being, but also on the uh, on the estate plan for the person that's deceased. Right? Um, you do get usually when when at someone's death, we do get the stepped-up basis scenarios, or we have an increase in basis scenario that's going to really help offset any kind of capital gains that might occur from from someone's death on an asset. Um, and would probably more be, be more beneficial than taking a hit on gift tax, something of that nature. So I don't want to go into that too much. I know we're trying to keep it, you know, to kind of the estate planning for everyone basics. But, you know, it, it suffice to say these plans that we have on, uh, you know, when, when we're talking about taking someone's asset and putting it on to, you know, needing someone on, um, 
to that asset, probably not going to work out entirely. I mean, there's some unintended consequences that people need to be aware of and might need to prepare for to deal with, right? Certainly. Um, Paul, let's take a break for our first sponsor, and then we will come back and talk about power of attorney and some more things. Uh, for those of you who are just tuning in, you are listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio. Our first sponsor is the Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. When you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, and we're talking here about trademarks, copyright, and other intellectual property, the attorney to call is Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme. She brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the Like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Now back to the Consumer's Law Journal. Again, we are talking with Attorney Paul Garver of Haubecker and Garver in Hinsdale, Illinois. Telephone number to call in is 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the queue. All right, Paul, we were talking about estate planning for everyone. Did you have any final comments you wanted to make before we go into powers of attorney? Um, you know, no, Nick, I, I think uh, I just wanted to kind of, you know, these are all the, 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 the different topics that, Kind of what we brought up there, the proper allocation of assets, what's going to happen, you know, what, what the applicable probate law in the given state says upon the distribution of those assets, you know, if, if someone does not have a will in place. Those are all things that people have to consider whenever they, they think about how their assets are going to be, you know, divided up after death. Um, and, you know, prior to doing things like, uh, you know, um, deeding children on as a joint tenant or, or putting them on as a joint tenant to your um, to your uh, bank account or something like that. And the point that I didn't get to, to discuss there is remember that the child then is the owner of that account and therefore is under, if you have more than one child that that money is supposed to go to, is under no obligation to disperse that to the other children because they're the joint owner, right? So I often hear people say, well, I'm going to put on my oldest child. They know what to do with the money. Well, people often don't like to talk about death and what happens after that, so they might just, the parents might just assume that the child knows what to do with the money, but they don't really know what to do. Um, and, and therefore that, that kind of starts to have a problem. And you've seen that play out in case law over time, and, and usually uh, what you find is that the person that's put on as the joint tenant of that is the true owner of the account and is under no, no duty to distribute that out to their siblings. So. You always have the potential there of, of kind of creating a little bit of a war between between your children, that that sort of thing, or between the heirs of your heirs of your estate. And that's something that you're trying to that's something that you're trying to avoid by putting together an estate plan. You're trying to make it easy for everybody. So, right. Hopefully that that wraps that portion up, Nick. But then powers of attorney I, I, again are I think um, uh, extremely necessary for a comprehensive estate plan. So. Um, any estate plan that's put together, uh, you know, needs to have powers of attorney. Now, different states have uh, different statutes and requirements or different versions of these powers of attorney, but, but generally what you see um, in, in state by state, but particularly what you see here in Illinois, are uh, three, there are two powers of attorney that are, that are laid out in statute and then um, also, uh, the infamous living will that everyone has always, always kind of heard about or clients love to discuss, you know, so 
kind of the pull the plug directive, right? Um, mm. the, the first power of attorney that I think that we should probably discuss is the property power of attorney. Now, um, the property power of attorney, what, what it is for is not necessarily for if you pass, you know, what's going to happen, but if you are uh, declared um, incapacitated um, or if you can't manage your assets for some, for some reason, um, who is the person that you're going to trust to manage those assets? Uh, and, you know, you see this happen time to time with, um, with all different types of medical issues that people have. They might not just have the ability to manage their own financial affairs, you know, those sorts of things. Um, and this is an, an easy one, Nick, too, that kind of goes with what I was talking about before. You know, mom can't really manage her financial affairs anymore. You know, dad has passed. Mom can't really manage her financial affairs anymore. And maybe, you know, they live next to uh, one of the siblings, one of their children. And to assist, what they have done is they have, you know, put on that sibling as a as a joint tenant on their bank account, right? Well, mm-hmm. again, the, the problem that we see with that is after mom does pass, well, that bank account goes straight to that sibling. Um, and maybe that sibling understands that mom wanted them to distribute that money out to their brothers and sisters, and maybe he or she does that. However, they're under no legal obligation to do that. Um, you know, and, and sometimes you see people thinking, well, I've been helping mom out for the past five years. I should probably be the beneficiary of that. All my other brothers and sisters were out of state or whatever it might be, didn't live near my mom or my dad, and uh, and I've been taking care of them, and, you know, I, I think this is... Um, what we should do. Uh, so I, you know, I think an easy way to solve that and an easy way to uh, take care of, you know, if you're incapacitated in any way, shape, or form, someone to take you know, take it, uh, advantage of or, you know, who's going to kind of manage this estate planning stuff, um, or pardon me, this, this, the property that you have, um, is a, uh, a power of attorney for property. Um, and, you know, here in Illinois, that's laid out directly in, uh, directly in statute. Um, and you can make that uh, take effect in, in, in a number of ways. Um, here in Illinois, you can have it take uh, place on a given event. You can craft it to take place on a given event. You can craft it to go into effect on a certain date. Um, it can be effective from the date of signing if you want, or you can make it effective um, upon the declaration by two uh, doctors who, two physicians who aren't related to you and, um, you know, that sort of thing. You can have it, upon them de- declaring you incapacitated, it can then spring into effect. So we would we'd kind of call that a, a springing power of attorney. It would spring into effect so that um, then the people that are named as the agent and the power of attorney can can manage the assets for for people. Now, from an estate planning perspective, um, as you're thinking about this with, you know, your attorney or you're talking about it with your family, you really got to make some choices, you know, choices there. Um, I find people often uh, trust certain people in their life to make financial decisions, but then when it comes to other decisions, they, they want someone else to make those decisions. So that kind of takes us into the second power of attorney, which is, you know, the, the power of attorney for health care or the health care power of attorney. And that, again, here in Illinois is laid out in statute, but it basically says, well, if you're declared incapacitated, who's going to make medical decisions for you? 
and sometimes that's the same person, Nick, as the people that are going to make financial decisions for someone and manage their finances and the power of attorney for property. But, you know, sometimes it's also quite different, you know. Um, and, I, and I find that with clients. And if you're dealing with a married couple, that it, it, it may be different for the married couples. I mean, uh, generally what you see is um, in, when two people are in a relationship like that, they want the other person to be the first person for the power of attorney um, for property and the power of attorney for health care. But then after that, then it usually goes back to their family or their friends that they want to have uh, making those decisions for them. So if their spouse has passed and we, we have people that are, successor agents or um, uh, alternative agents that then will would be making those decisions. Anything that you can think of there that I might not have touched on, Nick, that I need to, to go back on, on the powers of attorney well, for health care and on property? You know, the one thing, the one point that uh, I think is, is good, maybe you could talk about the unanticipated change where if you're at one point in your life right now talking about, um, you know, things when everybody's in good health, um, you know, we don't know what's going to happen in the future. And from, you know, from that aspect, do you have a lot of people who come and ask you for power of attorney now as sort of a proactive thing? I mean, I know that's a very detailed person to have your, your house well in order, you know, before there's an event. But um, how much of uh, of your business is, is working with those who are making proactive future decisions based on not knowing what's going to happen 10 years from now? Yeah, I wish, I think the first thing that, that um, is a good point to make here, Nick, is everybody when you do an estate plan, there probably should be a review of that estate plan about every five years. Um, generally, an attorney that you work with uh, will do an initial estate planning consultation with you free of charge. Um, we do an initial half-an-hour estate planning consultation. To make that estate planning free of charge, we, to, to make that estate planning consultation as effective as we possibly can, we do ask for uh, the, the potential client to fill out some informational sheets so that we can be prepared for that meeting ahead of time um, and discuss that, that with them. And then normally I ask for clients to come back in about every five years um, and so that we can take a look at their old estate plan, make sure that we got the right agents in place, make sure that we got the right people in place. Um, that being said, also kind of carefully picking who you're agents and alternative agents might be is going to be helpful, right? So if you're an older, you know, if you're a younger couple and, and you decided that, you know, your spouses are your are your first power of attorney, but then after that it's your mom or your dad and, and you know, they're already 80, well, you know, maybe we might be looking towards either a third or sometimes even a fourth person that we add on there. That way, in case you don't make it back in to review it about every five years to figure out what kind of changes we need to make. Um, then uh, you got you, you still have people on that list that you can that, that it will fall to that that you trust that can do things. And I got to tell you, Nick, it's probably not as proactive as I would like um, with people coming in. I think the times that I mainly see people come in uh, for estate planning are uh, the birth of a child, the death of a parent or right before they go on a major family vacation, right? Why so, is that? Why, why do people assume – I know people come in for wills right before they go on a trip. How many people actually die on a trip? Don't you think more yeah. people would have – isn't it like, you know, what is it? It's within 10 miles of your house. Um, you yeah, know, why right, is it, yeah. It's unfortunate. You know, and how many – let me ask you this. 
How many times have you had someone come into your office and say, Paul, I want to redo my will. I want to provide differently or I, there's a new family member. And then they come back from vacation, everything's fine. They always come back from vacation. Why does it take the traveling abroad for someone to think that they should update their will? We need to change their mentality. Uh, yeah, I agree with you on that, Nick. It's got to be, um, it should be something that people are thinking about ahead of time. And, and personally, as the estate planner, it's uh, it can be difficult sometimes when you're trying to come up with an effective estate plan for somebody. You're trying to take into consideration all the different things that they have in their life. But then they come in and say, hey, we're going on vacation in a week. I need you to do a will for me. Well, we might not right. be able to meet that deadline. You know, or we might not. I'm going on vacation in two. We might not be able to. So it's, I, I think it's important, like I said, um, there are definitely some things that you can do um, as uh, things for when you go on vacation that can be done very simply and easily. But I think it shouldn't be, hey, I'm going on vacation. I'd like to complete my entire estate plan in the week before I go on vacation, right? Kinda, right, because a little, be, little more thought should be put in it than that. I think, yeah. Well, and you know, here's another thing that uh, um, a question I'm going to ask you to respond to after we pause for a second break. But I, I've heard a lot of people uh, talk about Legal Zoom and all these other places that uh, promote that you can just plug in, uh, you know, your name and birth date and everything, and you get a, a churned out document. So I'm going to ask you why, you know, what level of customization uh, most of these documents require, and what your uh, what the you know basically what the word on the street is um, and why that's a myth that you can just get one of these canned documents. I mean, maybe they work, but um, I'm going to ask you to respond to that. But let's first uh, pause for our second commercial break. Again, anyone who's just tuned in, you're listening to the Consumer's Law Journal on Law Talk Radio, brought to you by ALR PRA Incorporated. Our telephone number to call in for guests is area code 917-889-9732. Again, 917-889-9732, option one to be placed in the caller queue. We also realize that many of you who do listen to these programs are listening after the fact to our archive broadcast, so please don't be shy. If you ever want to contact any of our guests or have any questions yourself, you can uh, always send us an email at info, I-N-F-O, at A-L-R-P-R-A.com. Our second sponsor today is Jim Thompson. He is part of the Get Clients Now program, um, and Midwest Consulting Group is his organization. He'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your law firm's revenues. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques to help you attract new business and encourage referrals. Jim is going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show, our Thursday program, uh, regarding attorney marketing. To learn more about Jim Thompson and the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook. Search Get Clients Now to find out more about the Get Clients Now program from Midwest Consultants. Again, ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can always get in touch with Jim Thompson by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. As a brief reminder, his next appearance will be October 7th, I believe that's right. Let me check the date, but October 7th. And we've invited uh, guest Bob Berg also to uh, appear on the show to, um, that is correct, October 7th, Thursday at 3 uh, for the Lawyer's Toolbox. So uh, we'll have Jim Thompson and Bob Berg, who's got an appearance coming up in Chicago sometime soon, um, and uh, we'll talk all about attorney marketing. We will not rest until you are satisfied with your marketing plan. Now back to... Uh, the Consumer's Law Journal with Paul Garber of Haubecker & Garber in Hinsdale, Illinois. Uh, we just covered uh, in our show, if you are just turning in and you're listening later, you can back up 
the beginning to hear more about estate planning for everyone. We just talked about powers of attorney, and um, now we're going to be talking about making some financial decisions for the future. But I first want to go back to you, Paul, and ask you, what about the level of customization is necessary in some of the agreements and work that you do, um, and where's the great value for clients who could otherwise go in, uh, for lack of a better word, pick something off the shelf at Office Max? Right, right. Um, I am, uh, and, and that's a, it's a great question, uh, Nick. And I, and I do, gosh, I wish I would have, uh, I probably should have dug this article up ahead of time. I, I was reading something maybe, uh, a few weeks back, um, or I want to say maybe a week ago while I was on a trip and it, I think it was actually in the, if I remember right, in the New York Times and it was a, uh, one of the writers there, um, went on a couple of the different websites and, and had, and bought a couple of different pieces of software, right, and, and had someone, uh, and, and created the estate, you know, created an estate plan for himself or created wills for himself and, um, then had them reviewed by an estate planning attorney and kind of pointed things out. And, and I, these were, I think, th- like four or five of the major products in the arena. Um, and I really wish I could pull the article up and, and kind of reference it for everyone. Um, well, and I, and I should have kept a copy of it to be honest with you. I just, I just did not. Um, and they, uh, but it kind of went over, um, a number of the differences that they saw between, uh, the estate plan that the attorney said that they should have and, and the estate plans that were, uh, created, you know, by, uh, by the software packages that are out there. Um, you know, I'm an advocate of, uh, I mean, I guess it kind of comes down to anything in life, Nick, and, and this is my, you know, uh, uh, my feeling on it, um, it you kind of, you get what you pay for. I mean, um, you know, I guess I, at, at my own house, I could, I know how to, I generally know how to put in windows and I generally know how to, uh, you know, put up a door and, and, and do crown molding and that kind of stuff. And I even worked in construction way back when I was um, a much younger man <laughs> Uh, you can however, come to my house. I could use some, uh, <laughs> yeah, some help, right? However, I'm going to tell you, I'm, I'm nowhere near as good as somebody who does it on a daily basis. I mean, you, you look at that stuff that was done on a daily, you know, someone who's doing it on a daily basis who has an understanding of it, um, a little bit better than I do and, uh, and is familiar with the tools that they're using. You know, you can, you can see a difference. And, and I think that that same adage holds true with estate plan. Um, when you uh, when you start to take a look at specific things, and when you start to get a, a look into uh, people's uh, different estate plans, um, you come up and you find different things that need to be addressed. And, and I'll give you a great example. I was with a client the other day, and uh, we were doing an initial estate planning review, and and um, they were in here with a husband and wife, and. Uh, I, we started talking about the estate tax exemption amount each year. So for those on the call that don't know, um, the federal government and, and also the state of Illinois both, both have um, estate taxes, and there's an exempt amount for both of those. We're just, for the purposes of this call, we're just going to deal with the, with the federal exemption amount. Right now, um, Nick, it was at a million dollars. In 2001, there was a law that went into place that, was incre- that increased the amount of the estate tax exemption all the way up through 2009. In 2009, the estate tax exemption was at $3.5 million. So if your estate was worth less than $3.5 million, it passed on to your heirs 
estate tax free. Now, if you're married, everything's going to pass between you and your your wife or you and your husband estate tax free. So when we're really talking about being concerned about this is really when these these assets pass on to the to the children, right, or onto whoever the heirs are. are. So uh, between married couples, it's an unlimited amount, but when it moves on to the next next phase, that's when it starts to be a problem. Um, the uh, so you know what we notice here is the, the interesting thing that's happening with the laws. 2010, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this. 2010, the estate tax went away for one year, and all of us expected prior to 20, 2010. Uh, that there would be some sort of extension of the estate tax plan or some kind of modification to it because the the upgrades, you know, on, only went good through this year. And starting in 2011 now, it's going to revert back to a million dollars. So when I talk about estate tax exemption amounts with my clients right now, we kind of have to generally assume that it might be at the million dollar level because Congress has addressed the issue or tried to address the issue in the past but is not able to to come to any resolution on it. And right now, for the foreseeable future, we're not, we're not seeing the potential for it to get resolved, at least not, not within the next couple of months. So. What would that resolution be? Well, they, they may pass a bill that says that the estate tax amount goes up to 3.5 million or stays at a million or, or goes to 2 million or, you know, goes to 5 million, whatever it might be, right? And, and what we're talking about from an estate tax position right now is, Anything over a million that you have that would pass on to your heirs, um, it gets taxed at a 55% tax rate, right? So, uh, so you know, if I if my estate is one million one hundred thousand dollars, I'm going to pay fifty five thousand dollars, right, to the to the to the federal government. And so, anything over that million is going to get taxed at 55% starting next year, 20, 2011. Um, and so it's just that much less money that's going to be passed on to my heir. There's, there is ways to address that in estate planning so that we can pass more money onto your heirs estate tax free. And I mean, literally saving people, you know, tens, uh, tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in estate taxes. There's some very, there's some very, uh, standardized, I mean, there's some very good ways that that can be addressed. But one of the things that this couple had no idea of, so one of the questions that I asked them, and I always like doing this in my estate planning meetings, as, as, I, as I say to them, and kind of back to your original question, Nick, about these sites and why is it better to go to an estate planning professional or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, you know, I asked them, I go, oh, well, and I, and I do that same discussion that we just had. I talked to them about the estate tax exemption. I explained to them that it's going to be a million dollars next year. And they go, oh, you, Paul, you're not going to have to worry about it one bit. We don't, we don't have anywhere near a million dollars in, in assets. You know, we have our house and we have some uh, other accounts and some other things in our cars. And, you know, maybe we're talking about $500,000 in assets, everything's said and done. But we're not, we don't really have any, anywhere near a million. And I looked down the asset inventory that they gave to us, and I looked very specifically at the life insurance section. And I said, well, it says here you guys have a million-dollar life insurance policy. And they go, well, yeah. And I said, well, you pay for that, correct? Yes, we do pay for that. Well, that million dollars is part of your taxable estate. And that just kind of blew them away. So all of a sudden, they went from a half million dollars of assets, or we could say it was $200,000 of assets if we wanted to, Nick, but, you know, and they went to $1.2 or $1.5 million in assets right there. So starting in 2011, that extra $500,000 in assets, they're paying 
you know, well over, they're paying 55% on that $500,000 to the federal government. And there are ways that that can be addressed within um, an estate planning document. But I think that those are nuances that get missed when you're kind of a do-it-yourself or going, going to a website and plugging in some things and having it spit out um, what your estate plan might be. You know, I can and, certainly and I, imagine that happening. Yeah, and and I don't, and I don't, and and that's not the only issue. I, I mean, I think we could do an entire program probably on on just the little issues like that that people would miss. But I mean, if you go to somebody who is first in estate planning, who that's a part of what they do on a daily basis, just like we talked about with with other professionals, they're going to see that stuff and they're going to be able to bring it to you know bring it to your attention. Um, so that's. I guess that's my that's my two cents on that. Um, you know, I, I've got people that you know have very special circumstances regarding children that they have, and who they want those you know who they want to be the the people that watch after those children, and how that's handled. And I mean, these are all things that uh, are very I think very difficult to do on some of the you know out of the box products that they have out there, um, software products or website products that. It just kind of spit out on the state plan for you. Well, especially when you don't know who created them. You know, they, they claim to be state-specific, but, you know, what if you go to buy a canned document that is based on last year's law or something like that? You know, and there's no one to follow up. So I, can, I know that I have friends who, um, in family law, have seen people recently try to do their own divorces, and... You, I guess you can. Um, I've seen people do it, but they come right back. Um, yeah, things don't work out. So, I think um, I and I and I think I think this would be echo, echoed by a number of attorneys that do estate planning. I mean, we have attorneys come to us to do their estate plan. I mean, there's a reason for that. <laughs> you know, right. I, I, I mean, uh, uh, they because just like you know, just like anything, you know, you're. Everything has become more and more specialized over time. I think everybody knows that, and estate estate planning is no exception to that to that rule. That's not like you said. That's not to say that somebody can't do it themselves. Um, they very well can, you know. I mean, uh, but that I guess that would be my answer to that question. Got it. Well, let's pause for our quick uh, third break, and then we'll get back to some follow up. Uh, our third sponsor is credit damage expert George Finder. George can put a dollar amount on credit damages. He's one of the only people in the country who can do this, and attorneys and plaintiffs who have retained his services have earned huge damage awards for their clients in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family, as well as general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate the credit damage questions into your intake process, you and your staff will be able to learn how to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's Credit Damage Analysis Services. Right now, we have a special deal where any of his listeners who contact George Finder and tell them that they heard about him on Law Talk Radio will receive, free of charge, one hour of CLE presentation. So attorneys, grab a pen and paper, take down the email address, learn about credit damage, and get the credit damage expert, George Finder. Uh, you can respond to his offer uh, for one free hour of CLE uh, at Credit Damage Associates at gmx.com. Again, that's Credit Damage Associates at gmx.com. 
available nationwide. Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. We want to also remind callers that if you want to call in and ask a question, the telephone number is area code 917-889-9732. Again, 889-9732. That's a 917 area code. Place number one to be placed in the queue. If you have a question for Attorney Paul Garver of the law firm of Haubecker and Garver of Hidsdale, Illinois. Paul, why don't we go ahead right now? We'll uh, finish our last segment up in a minute, but why don't you give folks out there uh, contact information? How would they best get in touch with you? You want to point them at a website or give them some other contact information for a, a referral? Sure, absolutely. They're they're more than uh, happy to to go to our web. Or they're more than welcome to go to our website at www. H is in Harry, G is in Gorilla, hyphen legal.com. Um, and then there they can request information um, about uh, estate planning. Um, that will come directly to us, and and uh, they can request a consultation. We'll set up a time for them to come in and have a free consultation with us. Um, also, uh, they're more than welcome to give us a call um, at 630-789-6833. Again, six three zero seven eight nine six eight three three. They can talk to one of the uh, one of the paralegals to answer the phone. Um, I'm also happy to talk to them if, if I'm here at that time. But mainly, that first call is just going to be to get some information sent out to them and, and set up an initial free estate planning appointment with them so that we can uh, discuss the options that they need for estate planning. Very good, very good. You know, I did make a note there, the uh, the title, Issues You People Might Miss. I'd like to do, and we'll talk about it and set up another show where we can just kind of go further into uh, some of those. You know, I don't want you to, um, you know, you know, give us too much, you know, give the farm away too much, but uh, it might be a, an interesting thing to go into a little more uh, Issues People Might Mix. Maybe we'll do that on a Tuesday show for our other, for our um, a Thursday show for our Lawyer's Toolbox. If you're interested, we could probably do that. Sure. Yeah. I, I, so you're. I, I didn't see the question, or I didn't know you're just getting some some questions about titling and how assets should be titled. That. that yeah. Yeah. Be. Some other things that you know people might you know, and that we could talk about. But I'm interested. I mean, there's so much information uh, out there that we certainly have enough, enough for um, you know at least another follow-up show. So why don't we wrap out today's last uh, ten minutes and talk about a little bit about guardianship and probate? What are some things that we need to know about guardianship uh, and or probate? Sure, sure, and and I think uh, those are um, definitely two two great topics that we that, that we should hit on. Uh, let's let's talk about for a second. Um, let's just take a very rudimentary view uh, on probate, and let's talk about a, a portion of it that I think uh, can greatly greatly assist any of your heirs or your children or whoever are left behind in, in going through that process. And it's something that's very pragmatic, Nick, but I still think it's something that needs to be discussed. Uh, and that is doing a financial inventory and leaving that somewhere behind for your children or for your heirs. Um, and, and let me give you an example. I, I get people all the time uh, who come to me um, for probate work or for trust administration work or whatever it might be, and they say, I think mom or dad had stock in X, Y, or Z, but I have no idea where it is and I don't know anything about it, or I think they had a safety deposit box, but I don't know where it is, you know. Mm. Um, or, you know, we know that they had a bank account here, but I could have swore they had a bank account somewhere else, and we can't can't find that. So 
Um, one of the things that we address in our estate planning package, whether it's a will or a trust or whatever it might be, um, the binder that we put together has a financial inventory section. And I greatly encourage people uh, to, uh, and now the inventory section that we have has the ability for them to write down, um, you know, what assets they have. It has a section on bank accounts. It has a section on real estate. It has a section on, you know, where's my safety deposit box? You know, who are who's my financial planner, who's my stockbroker, who's, you know, who's my medical advisor. It, it has a, a ton of information in there that would be helpful to your heirs or your children if something happens to you. Um, and, I, and I think uh, what I always encourage people, I say, you know, even if you don't write it down, right, like this is the, at least those things that we have in our binder can be utilized as a, uh, as a cover sheet, right? So, you have your bank account cover sheet, and you just take – doesn't even have to be the most recent statement. You just take a statement, you three-hole punch it, you put it in there. At least then your children know where your assets are. An incredible amount of time can be wasted, and oftentimes, you know, a, a, a decent amount of billable, billable time is wasted by an attorney tracking down where these assets are and, and getting access to them. So, you know, even if you didn't, you know, even if you decided not to – try to avoid probate or do any of that kind of stuff. And and by the way, Nick, there actually are some decent reasons why you wouldn't want to avoid, you know, probate here and there. Um, one of which would be, you know what, if, if your children, if you know that there's a a, uh, a grudge or some sort of division already between your children, you know, um, it might be better that things are handled in court, right, up front. Um, that way uh, it's all kind of done above above board. Right, and there's not now that can be handled in some other ways as well with some trust administration. But you know, maybe maybe that's just something that you decide. And I think that's a decision that can be made in you know in close consultation with an estate planning attorney or um, with someone of that nature. But there are there are still some reasons. But let's say you don't want to avoid probate, or you don't even want to go through a will or go through the expense of any of that. At the very least, get your documents, get your things in order, so that you make it less stressful on your children and your family and your heirs. Um, they're already dealing with your death. They're already dealing with all the issues that come along with that. Now for them to have to go hunt for the key, find the key, and not, you know, to the safety deposit box, and then not even know what bank it's at. You know, that's that throws a whole nother, that throws them for a whole, whole nother uh, um, level of stress that they're probably unprepared to deal with at that time. So, um that that's the first thing that I think is, and I know we talked generally about probate and what probate was in the process of that at the, at the beginning of the show. But if you're looking at things that you need to do, that that needs to be a component of your estate plan when you put that together. Um, just the practical, pragmatic: what assets do I have? Where are they located? You know, who are the people that I have dealt with over the course of my life? You know. I, I think I had a client once that had like six different insurance policies, you know, and they were all with different insurance brokers. I mean, that was a bear to figure out, particularly when they... Yeah, it's got to be easy to miss one of them. Yeah, and particularly when they didn't have any of that information necessarily written down anywhere for everyone. So um, that would be my suggestion. The second thing, um, and this is, this is a little bit off topic, but I think still needs to is a good idea to be addressed and something that we started to do for our clients not only do we provide a wallet card for our, our clients, you know, as far as, you know, hey, this is, 
the how you would title assets if you have a trust. So if the client does a trust with us, we give them a wallet card that talks about the proper titling of assets to put them into the trust. But, you know, also the, the flip side of that becomes emergency contact information. Um, so something people always forget about, right, but uh, always good to have some kind of emergency contact information on you in case you get into some sort of situation where you are incapacitated and, you know, uh, they need to figure out who quickly to, to, to communicate with, you know, and where are these estate planning documents, all that kind of stuff. So just a little, you know, a little bit of information on a card in your wallet can kind of go a long way to, to helping out emergency, you know, um, emergency professionals, people, um, you know, EMTs and the ambulances, that, that sort of thing, and, and getting the right people notified and getting them there. Um, the second, the, the third thing here that I, I want to mention and this goes into probate, is just, you know, where are these documents? Now, um, I believe it's a misdemeanor, if I remember right, for you not to file a, a will um, with the county court uh, within 30 days after someone has passed. So technically, what you're supposed to do is, uh, um, you know, uh, you after someone has passed, you take the will and, and you file it with the county. Um, and... They, they keep a, uh, they keep a record of that. It's usually stamped. Um, the will is put on file. Uh, and the original will is supposed to be taken to the, uh, to the county and filed. Um, and I find that happen all the time that, well, mom and dad had a will, but we don't know where it is. Or we think it's in the safety deposit box and we couldn't find a key, but even if we did find a key, because it's in mom and dad's name and they've passed, we can't get access to it because the bank won't let us. So, you know, how how are we going to get access to that stuff? Well, when we do an estate plan for, for people in our office, Nick, we have our own safety deposit box at a, at a local bank here. Um, and free of charge, we store people's wills. And if they have a power or, pardon me, if they have a trust, we'll store their will and their trust free of charge. But at the very least, what you can do if, you, if you've done a will or you have a trust, leave some kind of note, either with a copy of that will or trust or whatever it might be, with where the location of the original is at. And in this estate planning binder that I've talked about that we do for a client, that is it. Uh, so, you know, there's there's a copy in there of your will. And it's the very front of that section that has a tab that says will that says where the location of the original is at, right? Um, because I've found people searching for that for weeks and weeks, and it makes it a lot di- a lot more difficult if all you have to go off of is a copy and you don't have the original, right? I can imagine so um that uh that that's that's a difficult thing so some again i think some fundamental things that you can really assist planning for that probate process if or and not only for for probate for, but within any estate plan a making sure that uh your your family uh understands where all of your assets are at and what you have or at the very least they have a reference manual where they know the location of that reference manual and you say you know, in our case, ominous though it is, Nick, we give out a black binder, right, with <laughs> with our with our contact information in it. But it also has all of this information that I'm discussing. And and you know, I think it's very easy for someone to say to their children or to their heirs or to the whoever their you know the executor that they name in their will or the trustee that they name in their trust. Hey, there's a black binder. It's on you know it's in the bookshelf in my office or it's located here. That's going to have all the information that you're going to need in it. Right. Um, so if you don't right. come well, to us, you know, if you don't come to us, at least try to get that information together for the, for your heirs. 
Exactly. All right, Paul. Well, thank you for all the information about uh, probate, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more next time, maybe on guardianship and a few other things. Um, we'll also take uh, some questions. If anyone has questions they want to email about estate planning, we can do a follow-up show, and um, we'll bring that to you soon. How's that sound, Paul? That sounds great. Yeah, thanks. thanks. All right, great. Well, I, thank you so much for being on the show today. Yeah, no, thanks. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. Hopefully all right, right also... It is. It's great information, and I know that people are often too shy to ask, so I'm glad that you shared it. I'd also like to thank our listeners for tuning in to the Consumer's Law Journal on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. I'd also like to thank our sponsors. Number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Charm. Two, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. And three, credit damage expert George Finder. Again, this is a general information program, and the advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice. Results may vary and are based on the facts in your location. You are encouraged to always privately consult a professional and should be advised that the laws may vary from state to state as they could apply to comments made on this show. Comments made to callers by attorney and professional guests do not concern, con- constitute attorney or client or other professional relationship. All callers remain confidential and all rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Again, ALRPRA's Law Talk Radio's mission is to bring our attorney and non-attorney audiences the tips, tools, and practice area information they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers as well as we all navigate the always evolving practice of law. With guests and listeners located nationwide, we appreciate the opportunity to use this socially networked radio program to bring people together and share collective intelligence. ALRPRA's underlying values are transparency, flexibility, and humility. We are a full-service law practice management agency available nationwide when professional quality matters to your firm. Thank you again, and please tune in next week for our following uh, Consumer's Law Journal uh, I don't have my calendar in front of me. I apologize, but do look for the uh, invite, and invite on Facebook uh, as well as on the show. So, again, thank you to Paul Garver today. Thanks, Paul. Yeah, thanks, Nick. I appreciate you having me. All right, and thank you also to our guests, and we look forward to seeing you next week.